welcome to the 4A's IT Podcast. I'm Carrie Jordan, and I'm your host for today's episode. Today, we'll tackle an interesting topic, NFTs or non-fungible tokens. This will be a two-part series. In this first part, we'll address NFT basics. What are they, and why should you care about them? In part two, we'll discuss more advanced topics, such as buying and selling NFTs, as well as notable deals relating to them. To discuss these issues, I've invited two guests to join us. The first is my friend and fellow chief member, Arthi Anand. Welcome, Arthi. Hi, it is great to be here. Thank you. We're thrilled you're here. So Arthi is counsel at Cahill, Gordon, and Rundell in New York City. She focuses her practice on IP matters and finance matters, and she regularly counsels companies on complex IP and technology issues, such as cryptocurrencies, NFTs, payments, blockchain, artificial intelligence, and fintech. She also counsels global financial institutions and supports M&A and financing transactions. As a Rhodes Scholar, she studied law at the University of Oxford, NYU, and in India. Arthi's been invited to speak at international conferences by the United Nations, Transparency International, Columbia Law School, Columbia Business School, Columbia University. She's also given presentations at many companies, including JP Morgan, about interesting issues. Our second guest is Reed Fryer Clancy. Welcome, Reed. Thank you, Carrie. Reed is a trademark and copyright associate here at Boris. She focuses her practice on trademark and copyright law, and particularly trademark prosecution, enforcement, and litigation. Reed received her JD from the University of Houston Law Center, where she served as chief articles editor of the Houston Business and Tax Law Journal. And because of the intersection between IP and NFTs, I thought it would be a really interesting discussion to include both of their perspectives in this topic. So welcome to you both, and let's get started. Like cryptocurrency, NFTs have become buzzwords in today's culture. NFTs are non-fungible because each NFT is somewhat unique, at least in theory, and they're bought and sold in auctions or marketplaces such as OpenSea, Rarible, or NBA Top Shot based on principles of supply and demand, and some would say speculation. But lately, these NFT marketplaces have gone crazy with millions of dollars being paid for some digital collectibles. Even the esteemed auction house Christie's has gotten into NFTs, with its sale of Beeple's every day is the first 5,000 days for $69 million. Some view this as an unhinged speculative market that will eventually come crashing down, but others perceive it as a new frontier of digital commerce and art with many overlapping issues with IP. So to be able to consider these, it's really important to understand the basics, and that's what we're going to do today. So what does it mean to sell an NFT and buy an NFT? And that'll be topic two. So hopefully we'll get some answers to these basic questions for you, and then we'll move on to part two and advanced topics. So Arcy, why should we pay attention to NFTs? Hi, Carrie. NFTs are exciting, not just because they're raising novel questions for us IP lawyers, but because it's, it's now relatable for the average consumer and business person like you and I. For example, NFTs now touch all our lives because it involves movies that we've grown up watching, sneakers that we wear, or brands and designer clothes that we buy. That's what makes NFTs so relatable now. Um, for example, we've all grown up watching the movie Pulp Fiction. Intriguingly, Quentin Tarantino wanted to mint and sell NFTs 
of images of his handwritten script of the movie that didn't actually become part of the movie. Uh, Miramax immediately sued for an injunction, arguing that they had that they own the trademark and the copyright in connection with the NFT, and Quentin Tarantino shouldn't be allowed to mint and sell the NFT. Quentin Tarantino argued to say those were actually part of the rights he had retained as the author. So the question was, who should be allowed to mint and sell NFTs? And now I'm happy to turn it over to Reed to talk about the details of the trademark infringement issue. Great. Thanks, Arthi. So Miramax owns trademark rights in the name Pulp Fiction, and they also owe two registered copyrights to the actual motion picture and visual material. Uh, consumers seeing anything related to Pulp Fiction would reasonably believe the NFT is related to or endorsed by Miramax, which comes down to the bottom line of trademark rights and copyright rights. Miramax is losing out on money related to work that it purchased most of the rights to. As Arthi mentioned, Tarantino did reserve some rights to the actual written screenplay, and in the licensing agreement, it specifically says to the print publication and to make audio and digital copies. The way the licensing agreement seems to contemplate more digital and audio productions of a novel of Pulp Fiction, but Tarantino took that to mean he could create digital NFTs. Miramax argued back that he didn't have the right because the license also carves out a section for the distribution of content in new types of media that had yet to be invented when the license was drafted in 1993, and that's in Miramax's favor. So again, the question is, how do we define an NFT? Um, is taking the image of a printed handwritten work, is that a digital derivative of the work of the kind that Tarantino retained rights to, or does Miramax own those rights? Unfortunately, this uh, case settled out of court, so we don't really have the answer to that. Arthi, do you want to talk about the Hermes Birkenbag story that came out recently as well? Absolutely. And this is super interesting because if there was only one lawsuit around NFTs, one could dismiss it. But now, as the number of lawsuits are demonstrating, um, NFTs are here to stay and the copyright trademark issues have become critical. Uh, in the case of all of us women have looked at the Birkin bag and wondered, would we be able to buy it? Oh, these definitely, definitely. Right. And these bags sell for over $10,000. And so it was really interesting when Mason Rothschild, an artist, decided to make images of the Birkin bag with fur all over it, put it up on a pedestal, make images of it, mint and sell NFTs. Hermes sued, arguing this is a violation of their trademark and copyright. So the court was looking into this issue, and I'm happy to turn back to Reed to weigh in with her trademark expertise. Right. So, you know, Hermes owns the trademark name Birkin, and this artist Rothschild is using Birkin to describe this NFT, but adding the word meta to it. So consumers who are interested in Birkin or Hermes accessories will see the NFT in Meta Birkins and assume that the NFTs are again affiliated with or endorsed by Birkin. But the real question in this is, are NFTs art? People viewing Andy Warhol's paintings that have the Campbell's soup prints in it don't believe that they're endorsed by Campbell's soup. So will they recognize the Meta Birkin as a work of art something that's not related to the underlying Hermes brand. 
the definition of NFTs is really murky. Rothschild may be protected by free speech in some of these instances as some of his works are commentary on Hermes and the fashion world. For example, he has some Bergen, Meta Birkin NFTs that feature fake dyed hair, which are a discussion of fur free movement in fashion. Again, this is an out of court settlement, so we don't really have an answer from the courts. And we're kind of looking to see how these things develop. Another really interesting example uh, is name, image, and likeness rights and as how they apply to NFTs. Name, image, and likeness, also known as NIL, is a right of publicity that gives the exclusive right to commercial use of an individual's own identity. Um, this usually comes up with famous figures, political figures, uh, celebrities. NFTs are often compared to baseball trading cards, and in this sense, athletes are using them as just that. They're collectibles that can be exchanged. Pro golfer named Bryson DeChambeau became the first pro golfer to use NFTs. He released copies of five different digital training cards with highlights of his, him golfing, and they sold for a lot of money. Last year, college athlete Blake Corum launched an NFT collection utilizing his own NIL. He was one of the first college athletes to capitalize on this. However, he wasn't able to get clearance from the University of Michigan to use the school's official marks or uniforms in the NFTs. He is a college athlete. He has rights to his own NIL, but the University of Michigan owns the rights to the logos and the team name. So instead, on his NFT trading cards, he's shown in a generic blue and yellow uniform so as not to uh, impose on the rights of the University of Michigan. Conversely, if Michigan decides to mint NFTs of its players, it'll have to license their NIL rights to do so. So there's a really big question surrounding, especially when NFTs are based on an underlying work or person, is where do the rights stem from the person who owns the NFT? You know, what do you have to license from? You have to license the person, if there's a person, their name or their image or their likeness. If there's an underlying work, do you need copyright permission from the artist to create the NFT? Uh, we're seeing a lot of different lawsuits and issues that are arising, but no solid answers to these questions yet. And it's also unclear the agreements, according to like the, what Arcee was saying about the Miramax case, you know, do those agreements transfer inherently the NFT rights. Absolutely. And what's really interesting for us lawyers, right? I, like Reed was mentioning earlier, originally there were certain licenses drafted. At the time, parties entered into a license thinking, okay, we're agreeing to license it for bags or for movies. But nobody at the time contemplated there would be this new product line or this new technology called non-fungible tokens. So it's a question of almost exposed now looking backward and saying, how did parties intend to dice the rights in connection with NFTs? Was it licensed to the party that obtained the license or was it still retained by the original party that signed the license agreement? So it is super intriguing for us lawyers because it's almost as though we need to go back, um, rewind and look back and think, what did parties decide they were contracting 10, 20, 30 years ago? On your agreements, Arthi, are you changing the language in terms of the rights that are transferred to make it clear whether or not NFT rights are retained or transferred? So I would break up my response in two parts, Carrie. One is in the agreements. Two, what companies are increasingly doing 
is because NFTs are becoming an integral part of their marketing campaigns, companies have actually now started filing trademark applications before the US PTO for NFT, for trademark in connection with NFTs. They're filing for it as digital goods so that they could obtain trademark protection. So part of the answer lies in the contract licenses we are beginning to draft. Part of it also is in advising companies to go obtain um, trademark protection for the NFT. Right. And we'll jump into some of the IP issues that overlap. But to me, just based on what you guys have introduced, it's very clear that NFTs can be a moneymaker, right? There's something that um, an athlete or an artist or um, a content company or a director or whomever can make money off these NFTs. But what are they really? I have had so many people say, okay, what is it? What is an NFT? Absolutely. And that's what makes it super intriguing, right? Going back to what you said initially, Perry, for example, the pandemic happened. Uh, here were design couture houses, which were used to making a ton of money. Pandemic happened. Everybody's home. Nobody's buying designer clothes. So then what a lot of couture houses did was they released NFTs. For example, providing a Gucci jacket for my online avatar would be interesting while due to the pandemic, I'm sitting at home and mostly on the computer. To answer your question on what is an NFT, an NFT, if we had to break it down, is nothing but code. If I were to think of it as how would you or I go about minting an NFT, you or I could take one of our favorite pictures, um, go to websites. There are two types of platforms. There are companies like a Nike, a Gap, that are creating its own metaverse NFT uh, platform, whereby for the consumer, it's an extension of buying Gap clothes. It becomes an extension of what they do in the real world. There are other platforms such as, say, an OpenSea or a Nifty Gateway, where an average person like you and I can go upload an image and convert it into a token, which is nothing but code. Now, what's intriguing is these NFTs are almost like in two buckets. One is when we are selling the code that represents the digital image, for example, the people artwork that you were mentioning. Another type in which you're seeing NFTs is in applications. NFTs are utilized to track the authenticity or ownership. It's almost like title deeds. So ownership of an NFT authenticates that I did own a physical product, say a Nike sneaker or for real estate. Those are sort of like the two big areas in which you are, we are seeing NFTs. And the intriguing thing now is every company worth its salt has, has to be considering NFTs. For all brick and mortar companies, it's no longer, NFT is not something just a handful of tech companies do. Every single company, whether one is in fashion, whether one is selling sneakers, whether one is in retail, utilization of NFTs to attract consumers has become an extension of its brand and marketing policies. So how, how are they made? Talk about this minting process. How do you mint an NFT? So if I had to really simplify it, I would say we could take a, a, a file, an image, a JPEG picture or a music file, go onto these websites such as an OpenSea or a Nifty Gateway, upload the image and the website helps us convert it into an NFT, which is nothing but code. In order to do that, it's now, shall I say, fairly democratic. Any one of us could go mint an NFT. There are two tricks to it. One. There is a gas fee involved. So the website will charge a fee in order for me to mint it into an NFT and two, to also potentially sell it. So that's how an NFT is now created. We could utilize websites in order to mint and create the NFT. 
what are those fees associated with making one or selling one? Are they a percentage of a potential purchase price or are they kind of a flat fee? Carrie, you're stealing some of our thunder for the second episode, but I would say two sets of fees. One is they call it like gas fees. So it's typically charged in ether, et cetera. Um, so I get to utilize my crypto or different types of currency in order to mint the NFT. A big portion, however, really truly comes from the sale. A lot of NFT platforms charge a percentage or a fee when it's sold. And what's interesting about NFTs is because it's just built in code. These websites also are building in code in such a way that they charge a commission, not just on the first sale, on subsequent sales as well. So it enables, for example, if, I, if I'm a musician and I'm minting and selling an NFT of um, a music video I made, I have the option to tick a box that will include codes such that, Carrie, if you were to buy it from me today and sell it after two years, I would also potentially get a percentage of the sale when you sell it a second time too. That's the blockchain element of these. Yeah, definitely. So why would a brick and mortar traditional business be interested in an NFT? Is it an additional source of revenue only or are there other advantages? I would I would just sound a note of caution. Um, the reason being one of the biggest issues um, that arises in connection with NFTs is whether it's a security. If anybody was to if anybody minted an NFT and sold it, and the person buying it bought it with the intention of the price will rise and I will be able to sell it for a higher profit, there is a high probability this will be considered a security by the SEC. And so without obtaining the SEC's approvals, we wouldn't be able to mint and sell NFT. So I'm going to just put in a note of caution so that this isn't considered as a carte blanche for companies to mint and utilize NFTs to do capital raises. But stepping back to answer your question, why is it important for companies? Now, companies across the spectrum, as you earlier pointed out, NBA, the NHL, to technology companies, to um, fashion industry companies like Gucci and LVMH and Dior, they're all minting and selling NFTs because they view it as a an extension of their product lines. Like they were selling handbags and jackets earlier. Now they would sell an online jacket, which would allow, say, me as a consumer to go buy a Gucci skin and I can mint it onto my board ape avatar and mint my own NFT and sell it. It is one, an extension of product lines they already provide, and two, increasingly companies are thinking of NFTs as another marketing tool, just like they were providing brick and mortar stores where we can go in, enter, and try out clothes. They're also providing these online metaverse platforms where I, as a consumer, can enter their NFT platform, try out their various jackets, try out clothes in the NFT store that the that a Gap or a Gucci or an LVMH is providing. Yeah, that makes sense. And those contexts make me think about the intersection of IP, traditional IP rights, like copyright and trademarks and how those would intersect with NFTs. For example, the Gucci jacket or the Gucci fabric or, or how that, that looks. So at least from a U.S. perspective and with respect to copyright, the default rule is that the author retains the copyright in the original creation. What about with respect to the NFT? So your NFT that you talked about, Arthi, of you in the, in the Gucci jacket, is that a derivative work? And maybe, Reed, that's a better question for you. 
So whether an NFT is a derivative work is an ongoing debate right now. Copyrightable works are defined by the Copyright Act, which has been amended several times to include new forms of media as they've been invented. Uh, think about how much different types of media has changed over the last 50, 60, 70 years. We've got TV, radio, digital media. So on the one hand, a derivative work is defined as a work based upon one or more pre-existing works, such as an art reproduction or any other form in which a work may be recast, transformed, or adapted. In theory, it seems it should be a derivative work if it involves a transformation of an underlying work. We see the Meta Birkin example where there's some kind of artistic reimagining of the Birkin bag that has been minted as an NFT. However, as Arthi mentioned earlier, the NFT itself is essentially a link to a place in a string of code. And legal scholars are arguing that the NFT is not something that can be protected by copyright. So therefore, it cannot be a derivative work. Instead, the NFT is a representation of the underlying work. But other scholars disagree. So we'll have to see how Congress opts to include NFTs as something that could be protected as intellectual property. And actually, um... That's exactly what the U.S. Senate, the Judicial Subcommittee on IP, did. Um, they actually wrote to the U.S. Copyright Office and USPTO and asked them to do a joint study to determine how NFTs would be protected under existing IP laws. And um, the U.S. Copyright Office and USPTO are conducting a joint study, and they have announced panels that they will be holding this month and the next. And in fact, um, I will be speaking on the panel um, that the US Copyright Office has commissioned in order to understand how NFTs will be protected under existing copyright laws. That's exciting. Congratulations. I can't wait to watch the panel. It'll be interesting. So in the context of the Birkin bag with the fur, let's say, who if you buy if I buy the NFT, what do I own? So that's another great question. Um, when an NFT is minted from a piece of art, the artist who is the owner of the original copyright in the original work. So the artist doesn't lose any rights to his or her original work by virtue of there having been an NFT. The owner of the NFT has the ability to buy and sell the NFT. That ownership is recorded on the blockchain and there's presumably some implied right or license to make limited use of the underlying artwork that is embodied within the NFT in order to buy, own, or sell the NFT. By default, the purchaser of the NFT generally will not receive ownership of the underlying work of art embedded in the NFT, nor the right to reproduce or transform that work of art, because again, the artist owns the rights to do all that from the original work of art. So it's theoretically possible that this default rule could change, for example, if the work of art in question was issued pursuant to a Creative Commons license, or if the transfer of the underlying ownership was expressly stated in the terms and conditions governing the creation of the NFT, which we're seeing a lot more of, you know, these, these licenses and, and um, agreements governing the ownership, sale, creation of the NFT. And Carrie, as you had alluded and as Reed's pointed out, at present, under law, it is unclear who has the right to mint the NFT. Would it be, for example, Banksy, the artist, painted a painting and he sold the painting? Then the person who bought that painting minted the NFT online. 
how did they meant it? They actually burnt the actual painting, recorded a video clipping of that burning, and minted and sold that NFT. So to answer you, a lot of the platforms are currently drafted with terms of use that state, the person minting reps warrants that they own the IP in connection with the image that they are uploading, which will then be minted into an NFT. But at this point, it's not clear who's got the right to mint the NFT. Is it the artist who originally painted or created the underlying work? Is it the person who physically buys it? Will they be authorized? Or could you or die any third parties literally click a picture of a Van Gogh? upload it on this NFT platforms and mint a token off of that and sell it. And what's intriguing is this is a market that that almost goes to the roots of trademark in that it's being determined by or based on who will buy it. For example, will the buyer be interested in actually wanting and will want only an NFT that's minted by Banksy, the original artist, or would they buy a an NFT that is minted by somebody who physically owns the item, or will they just mint, will they buy an NFT that's minted by me, a third party who had nothing to do with the artist or the person who physically owns the work? And these are all open questions, and that's why we're looking to the courts as well as the US Copyright Office, USPTO, and Congress in order to help us determine who owns, who has the right to mint this NFT. Right, I think it's so interesting for sure. But it also raises another question to me, you know, has trademark figured this out? Are, are trademark rights and NFTs, are they further along in the evolution process? Or I guess really how are companies using NFTs and trademarks together? So the USPTO recently added NFTs to the goods and services manual as a type of good. And then there's also the service of minting NFTs. We've actually seen a lot of our clients filing intent to use applications to cover these goods and services just in case they're able to you know, start offering these in the future in about two, two and a half to three years. The real debate comes with trademark enforcement um, and what the related goods and services are. Are goods and services rendered in the metaverse highly related to goods and services in the real world? Trademark registration is a tool to prevent others from using your brand name or a confusingly similar brand name with identical or highly related goods and services. Uh, if you're a fashion brand and you're selling an article of clothing and somebody else is selling articles of clothing under a similar name, you can prevent them from, from doing that because it'll be infringing on your trademark. However, if you're a fashion brand selling physical articles of clothing, is the sale of digital articles of clothing a highly related good or service? This might be an easy question to answer when looking at famous brands like Nike, because consumers will inevitably see something with a Nike name on it and think that it's endorsed by Nike. But what about smaller brands that don't have that general name recognition? For famous brands, the line between related goods and services is much smaller because Barbie is so widely recognizable. The Barbie Mattel brand can prevent others from using the Barbie name and logo on things that aren't just dolls and toys. This is called a dilution claim. So famous brands don't want other businesses diluting their brand in the marketplace. But it's it's a little bit murkier when we have non-famous brands who can't use dilution claims and looking to whether a brand name that's being used for NFTs or in the metaverse um, is confusingly similar with a brand name that's out in the real world. So there's a lot of questions that are still up in the air. 
absolutely and read this was wasn't this one of the issues that they raised in the Hermes NFT case? Um, they had one of the objections uh, made by the artist was Hermes used the trademark for clothes and various items in the real world, but hadn't yet um, included a trademark application for digital goods. So post this and um, the judge, when he refused to dismiss the case, argued that just because Hermes hadn't yet used it in the digital world did not preclude it because of the dilution grounds that you had pointed out. And what's been intriguing is that since this case has been filed, the marked number of clients and companies who are looking to proactively obtain trademark protection for the digital goods, even before they have as yet begun selling on the metaverse is super interesting. I agree, Arthi. It's very interesting. We'll have to see how it plays out. Yes, I'm really interested to see how it shakes out, too. And as a patent lawyer on the call, I have to note that patents relating to NFTs are already here and more are sure to come as well. An example is one that you mentioned before, Arthi, with Nike. They actually have a patent on for generating cryptographic digital assets for footwear as a way to ensure that a shoe is authentic. And then it also gives you a digital collectible version of the shoe in the wallet that you can have, you know, in your crypto kicks for the metaverse. So patents are going to play into this as well. It doesn't it doesn't feel like as, as easy as an overlap as copyright and trademark, but I think we're going to see growing patents around NFTs as well. So with that, I think that's probably a great stopping point for part one. So let's conclude our part one discussion. Hopefully everybody's enjoyed the discussion. I really did. Thank you, Arthi. Thank you, Reed, for joining us. I really appreciate your insights here. And the rest of you who've joined us for this, please tune in for part two. And we'll address more advanced topics involving buying and selling NFTs. And then Arthi will share a few real-world war stories around NFTs. So join us for part two.